Welcome back to Dipping Podcast and happy 2020 everyone. So Dipping is a platform where we are exploring and dissecting the narratives around landscape, be it to do with culture and identity, art and design and health and well-being. And by we, I mean myself and you as the audience and the guests that I have been fortunate to exchange ideas with. As I begin and speak to people from different walks of life, their approach and values reaffirms that the vast spaciousness and intricacies exist in the landscapes that we inhabit. In this episode, we begin to uncover and to understand why nature heals us cognitively. I'm speaking with Kay Tung, who is a research psychologist and a chartered landscape architect. My favorite quote from Kay in this conversation is, as an individual, if you could be a motivating end user that promotes more naturalistic landscapes, more healing types of landscapes, you can increase the demand and there will then be more designs that actually heal you. This quote is great because it puts a responsibility on us as individuals to first of all understand how we connect with nature and how we can lobby for quality landscapes that will continue to benefit us physiologically in the long run. Kay's humorous and questioning enthusiasm makes this episode a highly entertaining conversation that makes the topic accessible and appealing to everyone and stay tuned at the end for the word of the episode special guest um she's special because she's my friend and um yeah we've been through the chartership process together in the past year (laughs) yeah so through the process i've very much gotten to know her as a person and also the way her mind works which i find very fascinating that's Um, a good description (laughs) 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 too good for me (laughs) and so well hopefully well you'll get to find out um a little bit about her as well in the process um so yeah without further ado i'd like to welcome kay tong tong (laughs) (laughs) i funnily enough i just found out that kay's name it's really weird saying kay now to you um i've known her i've known you as key yeah which sounds like the key you open the door but it's a it's, it's a hong kong um Chinese name? Yeah, 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 true. Okay, right. I mean, let's get into it. Uh, can you um, tell us a little bit about yourself, mainly first um, first and foremost, where you're from? Uh, 
Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I, I'm from Hong Kong, which is a land of no landscape, as you can imagine. It's a concrete. It's a forest made made of concrete instead of uh, landscape. So uh, yeah, that's where I'm from. But uh, which also makes it interesting because I have a very different perspective in terms of how landscape is like in a very um, solid concrete forest. Uh, yeah. So yeah, let's see. <laughs> What so are you saying? There are no. Well, there is. There are dedicated green spaces in Hong Kong. Yeah, there oh. there are, but um, unfortunately, like they are, you don't see um, that there. You don't see a lot of like um, big urban place, like urban urban green spaces for the city. There will be that. There, there are urban parks, like very very generous urban parks, but like in Bath you will see a lot of smaller smaller parks even though they are small they're still still quite sizable i i guess like you could still do some intensive training like HIIT within <laughs> within the place but it's quite difficult to do that kind of activity within the small pocket spaces in hong kong so it's a bit different like in yeah. terms of types of green space it's tighter as well i'm yeah, sure yeah. Mm -hmm. and um and what are you doing currently at the moment Kate? I have just uh, completed my chartership this year, so I'm taking a bit of rest <laughs> uh, right now. If, so, if well, yeah, for those of you who who don't know, um, Kay is also a landscape architect. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a landscape architect. I I have been and I still am and I will be. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I uh, on top of that, uh, I am also currently doing a master degree at Myers College. Of college um, in uh, urban forestry and agriculture so um, yeah I, I, I I'm very interested in, uh, in in landscape in general so uh, yeah that's pretty much mm. what my education background yeah. is well, yeah. yeah I mean I think for you you've always been an avid learner and you are still continuing to you know gather as much knowledge as you can within this field Yeah, anyway, I um, yeah. So you know, you don't you don't just do your nine to five job, but you're also <laughs> studying this or learning that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just trying to uh, uh, to use as much en as much of my excess en energy as possible. Maybe that's the reason. You're yeah, just too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so before you practice landscape architecture, you did a master's in landscape architecture. Yeah, yeah. Yet. Yes, that's right. And then beforehand, what were you doing? Because this then obviously will start to relate to what we want to talk about um, in this episode. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. Uh, so before um, before my study at the University of Edinburgh um, uh, in, lands in, in Master of Landscape Architecture, I, I did a research degree at the Chinese University of Hong Kong um, in uh, in in psychology basically so uh my research interest uh, interests back then uh were related to uh, emotion regulations uh, and how the cognitive processes uh are related with the emotion regulations okay. so yeah that's that was what i focused on okay and it was um research based yes that's right so it's a research degree yeah mm -hmm. um and what What was it about psychology that made you want to study it? 
yeah um so, so why why did i want to study psychology yeah. or why the psychology made me study landscape architecture um well to, i was gonna lead you up to that as uh, well. all, i you got know. you <laughs> yeah, Gee, one you. step ahead <laughs> <laughs> um well but first of all yeah what made you become interested in research psychology to begin with yeah and then how why why did you make that shift then into more of a, a, a broader field of landscape architecture. Yeah, sure, and sure. Was it intentional as well? Yeah, it it, um, it's uh, so so. So first question is about like why 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 wh- what the intentions were uh, to study uh, ar- t- to study psychology. So because um, I suffered um, very bad depression uh, when I was in high school. Like not maybe not high school or high school in England. That means like secondary school, um, in in the UK. So uh, I back then like I, yeah I I had some s- I, I I basically experienced like one of my trolls in uh, uh troughs in my in my life. So I noticed um a lot of things um a lot of cognitive processes precisely, um there are patterns that leads to these emotional bad emotional experiences and I really want to learn more about them and as someone who actually experienced uh, these negative emotions hopefully I I could ex- I could eventually apply what I learned scientifically mm-hmm. and what I um what I experienced personally combined that to actually help other people mm-hmm. so yeah that was kind of the the the, the, the very uh, original uh, intention to 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 study psychology mm. but then um, during my study uh, at the Chinese University of Hong Kong, I came up with, um, I attended seminars uh, at the university and I read a lot of papers related to the idea of uh, healing landscape. Mm-hmm. So how nature heals people in general, what sorts of scientific mechanisms nature can um, can benefit your cognitive processes your 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 brain functions so uh then i became very interested in um the applied side of things so um how what what sort of design could actually help people to benefit uh more more efficiently more effectively from the design in on their uh, mental health so that w- that's why I made a switch um, to study landscape architecture at the University of Edinburgh afterwards. Mm. Is that when you felt like you started to see how what you had learned um, about the cognitive processes and how that could be applied practically? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. Because as a research mm-hmm. student, I understand uh, what you do is it's really theoretical. It, it rarely it's about designing something. Uh, that people actually use them. Uh, however, I think uh, what would be very interesting is to actually apply what you learn theoretically and apply them in practice, what you could do. Definitely. So yeah, that's why I made this move. Definitely. All right. Um, so since, I mean, I think this is a, this is a given already, but you know, in, uh, since studying, um, about the cognitive processes, has your daily philosophy changed since um, learning more about it? Yeah, I think uh, people do change uh, because things just change, circumstances change. <laughs> so uh, I now understand um, 
like more about the constraints why practitioners don't apply some of the principles we know um, about landscape into into practice. Um, I I learned a lot more what and uh, um, po- policy wise, like what what sort of th- what what sort of contextual uh, problems we are facing today. Uh, sometimes it these constraints could be more superior to um, to psychological benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sometimes there could be commercial motivations that again override um, the amenity values people endorse. Mm-hmm. There are there are many. The reality it's it's made up of like very complex factors that you, as a landscape architect, you have to consider. So uh, that actually drives us to rethink um, theoretically what what specific direction we should look at in order to to truly collaborate um, scientific mechanisms and apply these mechanisms into design yes yes um, I'm not sure if that's something that happens quite often um, and how practically achievable it would be in a more office context yeah it is it is difficult because um, one member it's very has very one member in the field has very limited influence um but what we have to do it's um it's maybe well it's is to make use of platforms like this Mm. um to actually advertise the idea so that more people know about like okay actually you can make an you can make make an influence Mm. um so yeah that that that's pretty much the purpose of this podcast and uh the your philosophy right there you go there you go (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, that's exactly right um and it's to test these ideas if possible yeah um, exactly when and to be able to yeah that's the main one of the reasons why i started the podcast is so to get people like yourselves who are trying to uh, go towards that process of, you know, um, testing things, practically applying what you've learned and um, and try and connect people in some way when the opportunity presents itself. Yes, um, true. That true. would be wonderful. <laughs> um, uh, but we were having a really interesting conversation early on before we, you know, put on the mic and started to record. <laughs> was how, um, how there was a lack of, well, there is already research that's present in the field of landscape architecture, but first of all, A, that it's really hard to create research in the field to begin with. And secondly, to, as you said, I mentioned earlier, to practically apply it. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? I think uh, to um, to start off with maybe like, uh, rather than explaining in detail why the mechanisms are difficult, um, like w- why why there there are constraints to 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 collaborate theoretical and applied applied side of things. I think most importantly, it's uh, is to it's to understand why there is a split um, on the preference of research. So what you will notice is um, a lot of people currently who are doing landscape architecture research, they are mostly from either. Um, they they are mostly comprised of graduates in architecture or urban design or landscape 
architecture. So they are they are builders, they are p- designers. Mm-hmm. So because of this technical background, they are more into um, testing, testing different types of design only. But it's it's very difficult to test systematically uh, if you lack the theoretical mechanism like theoretical understanding and the mechanisms how these design works mm-hmm. and that's the that's that's the kind of the common problem uh, why there is a sort of gap between the theoretical side and the applied side of things whereas people were very knowledgeable in the theory side of things like for example psychologists uh, they 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 know these mechanisms too well but because they know these mechanisms are very complicated that's why they overcomplicate things and they can't really boil down to a an apply applicable applicable um um like statement or or, mm. or an instruction or principles that people could actually apply these research so mm. it's so therefore even though there is a solid theory created by psychologists as practitioners you can't really they are not given anything like concise and precise enough that they could apply readily into mm. their design so there there is currently a gap between um the theory side of things and the applied side mm. of things yeah and also uh, like we mentioned um the fact that you know um in the uk for example there is only one course um where landscape architecture as a subject to study at university uh, is a separate department in itself. Yep, yep, That's true. at the University of Sheffield. Um, whereas the others come under arts. Yeah, yeah. Or it could be a part of architecture, which is also, uh, but you know, under the arts or yeah. related to the arts as well. Um, so again, I guess that puts a more of a bias. Yeah, true. More design. That's why there there are people who 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 say like um, the. The field of landscape architecture, especially in terms of research, uh, it's a lot more mature in uh, in the U.S. It's partly, I guess, like just my speculation, it's partly maybe because um, of how the how the department is structured within uh, within the university. What you notice is, like in the U.S., a lot of the lens research related to landscape architecture, it's not. Uh, the research output is not only by landscape architecture department itself. It's often interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. So um, whereas in 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 the UK, I notice it's, it's the output tends to tends to be from one specific department. I but but the good news is I've also starting to see like more collaboration between departments. Indeed, this is uh, kind of the trends uh, mm-hmm. we're observing right now. Mm-hmm. Like the interdisciplinary research seems to be. Uh, more common mm. uh, nowadays throughout the whole EU. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there. If we if we take a look at the at the book about environmental psychology, you will see like a lot of theories nowadays. They are not generated by solely the Department of Psychology. It's often it often involves like the Department of Architecture as well. So it's it's growing, it's growing. Mm, yeah. Okay. So there is silver lining. Yeah. Right. And and wh- what would you say about? Um, I mean. Do you know what kind of research is currently out there that is related in the field, which is also again in relation to cognitive behavior and um, therapy 
Yeah, there. Uh, do you mean like what sort of um, what sort of research is related to the well-being of people in general? Yes. Or yes, and yet, yeah. Yeah. Uh, other. There, there, there are like, for example, um, even, even, um, even in the at the University of Edinburgh, uh, where I studied, there is a department called Open, uh, which studies uh, salutogenic environments. So, what sort of uh, environments actually? Uh, benefits people who benefits uh, universal access uh, benefits people with disability or mental health problems or the elderly etc mm. so there, there there are departments specifically looking at that um, there are also faculties or departments or research labs that are interested in solely um, uh, the biological mechanisms for example uh, there is a department in the at the University of Surrey uh, uh, which focuses on, like, for example, um, how bird songs or like how mm. audio stimulus, mm. like audio stimuli, uh, could benefit your cognitive functions, your emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So um, there are other. Uh, so these are. So either the so so so, so, so either departments or well, I won't say either actually so there there are there are departments that targets at certain groups of people like how 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 designs how landscape architecture designs can benefit them there are also departments who look at like precisely the the cognitive processes more more psychological approach of things basically mm -hmm. or um what what else um. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much that I could come up what come up with at the moment. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, maybe perhaps this leads to uh, one of the questions I had for you is, uh, how do you think gaining more knowledge about the topic of psychology can help um, enhance our experience in a landscape? You mean f to landscape architects or? Mm. Well, to for us as um, people experiencing the landscape in day-to-day -day lives, how, how, how can you know? How can they people who essentially may not be in touch with the whole research or design side of yeah. things, but just having a little bit more knowledge about psychology? How can they? How can that help? I think the the most. Uh, do you, do you do you mean like psychology in general or or just or, or psychology related to landscape specifically that's interesting actually i guess i never really broke it down <laughs> into that yeah. sense because um, i think everyone um should know something about psychology like yeah. even I, I would say like it's a let's define psychology first then yeah, so yeah. How, how 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 do you define psychology psychology like th there's a very official definition of it but we, uh, which is about like scientific study of human behavior uh, but we i think this is uh, too generic like it's, it doesn't tell you much i think in general psychologists are more interested in understanding the patterns of human behavior so i think every individual um well, that's, that's, I think individuals should try to understand 
why certain things keep on happening <laughs> as 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 one person okay if you if you keep on dating someone someone uh, like uh, who, who has certain personality maybe you have certain preferences and and every time you end up with a bad story obviously you have to learn something some, something about yourself why you're picking evil guys or girls every time like this is this is like human nature you have to learn from your mistakes to protect yourself so this is of course you have to learn to know some psychology to understand these patterns so i think psychology in general is very helpful not only in terms of picking the right partners but um it's also about um avoiding mistakes or patterns that actually harm yourself Mm. because psychologists don't believe in coincidences we believe in patterns Mm. so in that case would you say that um a landscape Mm. setting uh that's completely you know natural that would be um would be a benefit and enhancement i think uh if we if we are narrowing down like why people have to know about the um psychology of landscape in in particular i would say it's actually um very um it's very much related to the idea of helping them understand landscape its nature and why nature heals you cognitively because what you'll notice is especially in asia a lot of people don't see um, landscape architecture um, pretty if they are not in very solid architectural build form they will say it's too naturalistic it's just nature it's it's not pretty it's not landscape architecture a lot of people will say that that's that's kind of the culture that i i often see in where i'm from like if you look at students work the the most highest marks are people who actually come up with very strong architectural um concepts in their designs so that's actually what i'm trying to say it's not very not not a very good sign because the most of the healing benefits that we see from we see in landscape they are actually or they're actually from the the nature like from the from the natural mechanisms that nature brings us if you endorse and if you don't understand the psychology of how nature heals you, you will continue to endorse uh, designs that are of heavy built form that don't heal you. And eventually there will be, as the end user, you demand this type of environment. There will be more of this environment, there will be, which means there will be fewer landscapes, less landscape that are actually healing. So I'd say the, as an individual, if you could be the motivating end user that mo- that it promotes um more naturalistic more uh, nature more healing type of landscape um you can increase the demand and therefore there will be designs that actually heals you mm-hmm. like there will be more of these mm-hmm. designs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes yeah I sorry i hope i'm clear enough yeah <laughs> uh, yeah definitely um i want to touch on the five basic human senses yeah 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 which um, which i have (laughs) (laughs) but that is the thing with um yes uh, that's the thing with the senses as well yeah Um, i'm very fortunate um to have all five senses uh, yeah that are working yeah yeah, and (laughs) it's well you know to begin with um why would you in the field of psychology learn about 
the five senses? How does sensory play into, uh, you know, psychology? Essentially, the way I interpret it is, say, you know, the, the, the very fundamental thing about us seeing is through reflection and hearing is through vibrations. And then it's our brain being able to interpret that and, you know, identifying it as this is a microphone or, you know, this is a um, music I'm hearing, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, how, why, why are the senses related then? The senses are related to uh, landscape psychology because um, our, I'd say it's because um, there is, um, how to say, um, th that's the first um, way how a person interacts with an environment. Because if you, um, the, the, the reason, imagine like when when you when you were a baby like w when you were still a baby um how did you learn about the world um you learned about the world by not not by understanding what people are talking around you if you could if you could do that you you're ba you, you, you're genius but uh, most of us don't most of us most, most of us learn by hurting ourselves falling down um touching things that are hot and then we learn how to escape um seeing a snake and then run away <laughs> mm -hmm. so they're basically um your the first your your senses are the first point of survival um in human beings in general mm -hmm. so that's why like um because it's it relates it's related to survival that's why it relates to your health and that's uh, because without without surviving at the same time you can't you can't have quality mm -hmm. of life so it if by f by f at the first place you interact with the environment, you know what is harmful, you know what is beneficial to you, um, then you know um, you know you, you know where to stay, you know where to go to. Um, there is a, a, a and that's how you keep yourself safe and eventually be a healthy person. So that's why th this is this is how sense is related to you. Mm -hmm. um, I might not have, have explained it so well, but uh, there it, it's 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 after all like in short a matter of evolution. So uh, because our ancestors learned to avoid troubles, learned to avoid dangers by um, by maybe interacting with the environment by the senses, knowing that staying outdoor in the dark like these combinations of stimuli indicates danger so we learn how to hide inside a hole mm -hmm. in um inside a cave to 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 stop ourselves from being um eaten by predators so that this is how like evolutionarily like why senses are crucial to to our health and our survival mm -hmm. okay um so let's talk about um the five senses that we know of yeah yeah um and um what for most people what the dominant senses are and the mm. less dominant ones yeah yeah so um uh, yes yeah, so let me first of all you know touch on it the the most of the five senses that we know of being um seeing hearing touching tasting and smelling yeah yeah um and yeah, so I, I, I think I already know the answer to this, but let's break it down. Um, what are the most dominant senses for most people? 
in I, your opinion? I think uh, I think seeing is is obviously the uh, the most dominating uh, senses after all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what you would notice is like there is a research um, uh, in cognitive in cognitive uh, psychology, which tells us apparently. Sev- uh, more than uh, uh, more than I will say, but about, about like about seventy five percent of information pr- in uh, getting into your brain there are from the visuals that you see. Right. Okay. So that's why like you can see like that's a high percentage. yeah compare compare with information that you smell compare with information that you hear. Majority of the information that goes into your brain for processing they are visually presented. Mm. So that's why like you c- I, it, it's reasonable to say like visually uh, mm. the visual stimuli they are most dominating. Mm. And it's also an interesting and valid point I would say to acknowledge that you know. Um, you know, it's it's very fortunate to be able to have the full five senses. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, um, yeah, th- th- there are people that um, um, may not be able to see uh, or see fully yeah. or even have hearing impairment um, and all the other, um, all the other impair- yeah. imp- impairments um, and how, you know, the other senses would then be amplified as yeah. a result. Uh yeah, in fact in fact you you're absolutely right. Like amplified is not in uh, is is not enough to describe actually the co- the cognitive processes actually happens in in their brains. Apparently for for example people who are blind they can st- uh they they can still ride a bike by uh listening to the echoes um through a device reflected into their ears so it's mm. like uh basically imagine you have two uh reversing like you know in in your car like there there's often a device which tells you how far you are away from the back of a curb when you're reversing right mm. so it, it's basically mm. that device um these people it, it's Create, yeah, it's device. created like yeah. these de- devices. They're put onto two sides of the ears, and then they could listen to the echo bounce back uh, mm. on the side, so that they know whether they're orienting themselves in the center of the road. Oh, wow. Yeah, but mo- in the center at the center of the road. But most importantly, if you take a look at these mm. people, like these people who can't see, if you take a look at uh, the fMRI of their s- brain scans, what you notice is. There is a s- there's an emergence of um, of connection between the audio and the visual visual um, uh, visual area in their brain. That means um, even though these people are not seeing, their the visual visual side um, mm. of their brain is active. Mm. So actually, what is what the, even though like, you don't experience the senses with like with the actual senses like you're not seeing with your eyes you can hear and you can you can you can see with your ears this is what actually happens right so it's like blend of the senses no it's about uh rewiring Uh yeah it's basically about rewiring your brain Mm -hmm. to make you still survive so the humans are actually a lot more agile and a lot more like their brain our, our brains like are very um readily develop like they develop constantly yeah Yeah. evolve constantly do they um stop at a certain age does that sort of start declining or not declining but you know start becoming steady it does um uh, well it 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 does like i'll I'll say like there will be cases where uh it's uh 
it's that the the processes decline. But um, what you notice is neuroplasticity happens at any stage of life. At any stage. Yeah. Right. Even there, there is evidence showing like it could happen even like it, it at a very late stage of life. That's why you will see like uh, old grannies at their seventies in Japan still learns uh, as ma- managed to um, publish her first app. Amazing, right? <laughs> With coding, like yeah, it's anything is possible if you believe it's possible. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a little bit of mo- motivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Commentaries for sure. people there. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, how how can we improve each of the senses using the landscape? I know that, you know, um, we probably do not have full research to support for all the five senses, yeah. but um, what are the w- some of the ones that you know of? What do you mean? Like, do you mean how landscape can enhance the sensitivity of our senses? Or do you mean, um, like... Let's, let, w- when I say sensitivity, it's mm. like uh, imagining you could listen to certain decibels of sounds at very uh, f- a very low frequency or high frequency, ah. and then you could make make you could stretch the ex- stretch the exa- extent. That's more. Or uh, do you mean like in general how these senses can promote like your or can improve your mental well being? Like what I'm trying to ask is essentially how these five senses or you know uh, some of the senses um can be utilized in the landscape which in turn can get people to become more in touch with a particular sense as in touch with so in touch with particular sense so do you mean like uh, let's say if uh, seeing triangles are beneficial <laughs> to your brain, so by you exposing by exposing to, to triangles, then you yeah. <laughs> okay something <laughs> along the lines of okay, I see. Yeah, okay, I see. You, you, you so, me. Yeah. but but but, but uh, <laughs> not but triangles yet. <laughs> it's, it's an example <laughs> analogy. <laughs> okay. But before before that, you mentioned about you know sensitivity and um, uh, putting people in context where. There's, you know, where the way they experience landscape, it's so sort of uh, not amplified, but, you know, sensitized that they become more in tune with it. Is that so, so for example, you know, having these perhaps, um, f- this is my interpretation of your comment, is mm. how um, you might have in a woodland these big megaphones that allows you to, you know, hear the sounds of um, what's happening in the forest and the, you know, the little low vibrations. Ah, um, I and see. And then that so essentially allows people to become sensitive to that sense of hearing. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. So it's... So, yeah. yeah. So okay, that's more, so I guess, you know, more of a controlled, perhaps designed environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see what you mean now. So... So it's like, for example, if they're if seeing triangles actually <laughs> could help you, could help, could benefit you. Uh, but some p- small triangles are very difficult to be seen. So making big triangles <laughs> could, <laughs> could perhaps be better. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I I see what you mean now. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, well, in that case, uh, maybe like that's an analogy. Like triangles. When I say triangles, so. Um, um, 
basically, if we 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 have to answer this question, then we ha- have to first of all understand what's um, what sort of stimuli or what sort of um, elements in nature will benefit us, and then um, and whether or not like so, so that that's the first layer. What elements? Which elements will benefit us? And then this and then second layer is whether how can how we can introduce these elements into the design and thirdly another layer will the design uh, can the design amplify it to create even more benefits mm-hmm. because that often might not be the case that imagine like if you like pink so much um even though you uh, if, if you if you see greens like uh if you see if you see the color greens um uh then you feel happy but if your whole house or your whole room is painted in green, that looks like the uh, the the stomach um, s- secretion of a monster. Then you you might start not to actually feel so good yeah. if you see too much. So amplifying doesn't necessarily mean like a good design. So that's another layer. So I'd say like there's three layers um, to approach your co- question. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Also. Uh, yeah. I guess also when you are become exposed to one element or you know certain mm-hmm. elements, then to a certain point you may perhaps level off and you become more immune yeah exactly yeah Yeah, there's often there's there's indeed a theory uh, not not a theory phenomenon called habituation Mm. so uh imagine you eat a lot uh if you if you uh if you eat one candy you feel happiness two candies still happy three three candies ah candy is candy again like you were that kind of feeling same as kangaroos and same as koalas when i would go to australia first day i'm so excited to see koalas and then second day koalas again (laughs) third day no no koalas yeah habituation (laughs) (laughs) so yeah do you want to talk about uh the layers the, the you know the first layer yeah, yeah, what sort of stimuli? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so um, what I I think I'll, um, before I start, I'll highly recommend um, everyone listening to this um, to this podcast to maybe uh, take a look to, to, to spend some time actually to read the book called um, "The Nature Fix," uh, written by Florin- Florence Williams. Uh, it is a very good uh, introductory book uh, to understand how nature fixes us, helps us. So. Um, what I'll be talking like in the following uh, actually um, will cover will be covered uh, in that book as well. So uh, yeah, just a bit of reference, and uh, you can click onto the link below um, to uh, to 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 have access to where that book is available. Okay. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so. Uh, one of the one of the most amazing finding uh, findings that I know uh, about seeing nature, it's uh, it's from the it, 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 it's a study done by the the Jap- <laughs> by, by by some Japanese laboratories. Um, actually, although like the the most influential finding is not by Japanese, it's actually by Chinese um, in in that Japanese lab. Uh, mm-hmm. So the that uh, it's a uh, um, Oh, sorry. I was going. To, uh, I meant to say. Uh, I, me- I meant to say seeing first, but actually, I meant to say smelling first. Oh, great. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, <better>. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, because that was the most. That was the most um surprising. Sorry, sorry. I, I messed up the order a bit because I, that that's the most surprising uh, phenomenon. I I uh, I noticed um when I was going w- reading the book written by Florence Williams. So um that's the 
what what is it is about is uh, actually um, for there is a certain pine oil uh, e, uh, emitted by uh, by enoki trees mm-hmm. uh, in Japan uh, that is proven to be uh, very effective in increasing the uh, number of uh, white blood cells mm-hmm. in your body. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like um, in it, it is it. it it is not um, something that is completely uh, um, pseudoscientific. It's actually very scientific because the this researchers actually assigned people to hotel rooms, mm. isolate them, and put them into different uh, experimental conditions. So one with ordinary vaporizer, no smell, mm. no pine oil, whereas the other one with pine oil, with a uh, same vaporizer because the the conditions are done in a room so it's very highly controlled uh and indeed like uh what you notice people who actually smelled uh, the enoki oil they uh there is a, a sharp increase in white blood cells mm. after um just a few f- uh, ju- ju- just a period of time of treatment in the in the uh, like, like in, in it for the two conditions mm. so one of the most uh, interesting and um also pr- proven scientific evidence uh in nature it's uh the sense of smelling so um it it is by nature we um the the oil emitted by trees are very beneficial to our health it basically promotes wow. your ability mm-hmm. to defend yourself defend yourself from diseases mm-hmm. and that's why the the this um the the activity of forest bathing mm-hmm. it's very common and uh, uh not only in japan i think it's uh, spreading worldwide as well mm-hmm. there is an uh there is an association of uh, forest therapy mm. uh, started in the US. Now they're doing trips around the world mm. uh, for people immersing them, uh, like w- with guides uh, leading people into forests, how to appreciate nature, mm. uh, what 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 you could, like what what, what sort of mechanism he uh, he the nature heal you. So mm. um, yeah, this is um, this is definitely growing. Yeah. Definitely, um, I have read the book Nature Fix. Yeah, and um, and um, and yeah, it's it, it, you know in that book it really does start to break down what forest bathing yeah, is yeah. and what people are doing, especially you know in Japan as well, and how how they're trying to implement it in that people are trying to implement it in their daily life be- due to stress and etc. Uh, but I think the the name itself, forest bathing, te- uh, tends to lend itself to. I'm not sure if that is a most effective name. Yeah. <laughs> for you know, for something that's so scientific, uh, the, the, there is a little bit of you know um, spirituality, yeah, connection true, true. and things like that uh, to to it. Uh, but yeah, it it it's. It, it, it doesn't come across as you know that scientific when you first hear the terminology. I think the I think the the reason why like people think, uh, if smell seems to be the only benefit, uh, why would you use the word bathing? Like, 
because like from from what I just described, like this is this should be like one of the first questions in your head. Oh, if it's there, it's only only the smell that is benefiting. Why do you call it bathing? Like, do you do you bathe with your nose? No. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So so actually, yeah, you you have just raised a point. I think uh, the reason why they use such a very spiritual and not so scientific term to describe the activity. It's because um, there is more than smelling, <laughs> which uh, which happens in the process of forest bathing. And these mechanisms collectively heal you, which actually leads to my second um, uh, introduction to, in terms of um, the, this, the, the other, the, the most dominating um, senses that I was supposed to say, like as the in, in the first, first point, one. at the first <laughs> yeah. point. So seeing, um, what you, uh, I think um, we we spoke briefly, like bef- before this podcast about um, the the scientific benefits of um, of seeing seeing nature. Mm. So, uh, um, what? Before I, I continue, uh, I I would actually like to present the the things like in a slightly different manner. So I would like you to pause this this po- podcast for a while, and then um, take a look at the at the picture I've given you in like in in the following like in the description box, and take a look at this picture. How do you feel about this picture made of messy lines, like? Uh, just pause for a minute and then I take a look at that picture. This is to the audience. Yeah, to the audience. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you have you have taken like you have taken a look at the at, at the picture. So this picture apparently a lot of I'm not sure if that happens to you, but a lot of people who take a look at this picture, what they feel it's uh it is uh is extreme calmness after re- uh, after taking a look mm. look at, at that picture they feel a lot better in general they rate their happiness their their emotional stability a lot higher after viewing that picture so uh, you will s- this picture it's 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 by a very famous painter we all know who he is but um, what you what what um, we haven't noticed is well, how we all may not know who he is. So <laughs> would you like to? <laughs> no, just for completeness, it would be yeah, it would be good to <laughs> Jackson Pollock. Yeah, just just um, yeah, 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 that's right, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, I, I I struggle to pronounce his name. That's why, like, I can't. I I am not confident to pronounce it. We should it. have done yeah, a yeah. quiz. We should, <laughs> we should have done a quiz, and then you should have like asked for sponsors, and then you could give out a prize to people who actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> that's future that's marketing. Of, uh, yeah, yeah, future yeah. marketing. For okay. Later. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so that that so this is this is uh, what this picture benefits you, but what. Um, what most interesting is uh, there is a, a researcher who noticed this the, the association between this painting and nature. That is what is very that that's that is the basis of how um, how how um, the. The, 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 how nature actually heals us. This 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 research research is key to explain this phenomenon. So what what you notice is uh, if you look at this picture, uh, there are white strikes and uh, and the the white strikes or the brighter strikes, not only the white strikes, they they are a lot more dominating, right? So they these lines forms the foreground 
uh, in your visual uh, in your visual field. And then there, the not so right side of the forms the negative the negatives in your visual field as uh, so the background. And um, basically, what you notice is the pro the proportion the statistical proportion of um, of the positive foreground and the negative background, if you can comprise a ratio, this ratio is incredibly similar to the ratio of how uh, branches are like in nature. So imagine if you look at, I'll show, so now scroll down like a few lines after, after this uh, picture, you will notice like a picture of branches, right? So the branches, the black lines, they form now the foreground of your visual, and then the white background now forms the, the, the now forms the background, which are the negatives of your visual. So if we if you look if you if we run a uh, pixelated um, calculation to determine the proportion of positive and negatives in your visual field in this picture, then you notice this picture this picture of branches shows a very similar uh, uh, proportion compared with the image that you see above. Because you, saw, you, 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 you feel better after seeing the picture, that's why you also experience a very similar impact, a similar benef ben similar benefits as you see the, see the, 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 the the image of the branches, and that's the form, the basis of how nature heals. Um, this proportion, uh, this um, proportion that exists in nature of positive and negative grounds, this is what the researchers called as fractals. And um, what you notice is the because nature, a lot of people will have heard of it. A lot of the a lot of elements in nature they are comprised of a golden rate of the golden ratio, mm -hmm. and golden ratio seems to be the basis for forming such proportion, and that's why you keep on seeing such proportion constantly in uh, in different elements of plants in different landscape, and that's why you experience the same beneficial impact all across. So this is mm. why visually it's very appeal, not only very appealing, but very visually beneficial. Mm. Indeed, this re this research has been uh, proven not only by look uh, by 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 ratings. It has uh, the the researcher actu researcher actually asks uh, people to view uh, these images. Um, through an fMRI scan, so very similar brain patterns observed as they look at branches and as well as looking at the the picture that I just showed you mm -hmm. so th that's why fractals this this type of pattern is another element which is very important to understanding the healing benefits of nature mm -hmm. okay, great wow it, I guess the golden ratio it's essentially the one principal thing that ties every beneficial, you know, uh, element. Yeah, together. well, <laughs> you you can you can say that, but uh, because golden ratio does it is not solely related to the proportion of foreground mm. and background mm. in your visual field. So mm -hmm. you can't you can't really say like a uh, golden ratio. It's the it's the cause of 
fractals. You can't say that fractals is in it's it's a pattern specifically for describing the proportion mm-hmm. um, of positive and negative grounds observed in in this experiment. So it's sli- it's a slightly different concept, mm-hmm. uh, but the what you observe is a lot of fractals appearing in nature. They are um, actually derived from uh, derived from the. the they they occur because of the the pattern of golden ratio. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, so yeah. So seeing and hearing. Yeah. I guess it's well, you know um the most obvious ones that are actually not hearing. Sorry, seeing and smelling. <laughs> 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 you you're getting tired. I've talked too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love I love this conversation. And I, uh, I honestly could continue chatting. Um, it, yeah, seeing and smelling, one of the key... Yeah, the key... Senses. Senses, or, yeah. or at least what the research is out there right now yeah. is, yeah, is pointing towards. Um, I think, you know, going forward, it'd be really interesting if any um, anyone from the audience or even between ourselves, whether we can um, start to target um, research that's behind the other fundamental senses, like yeah. hearing and touching and tasting um you know that goes beyond what we know as the, the like the the most obvious thing yeah um, yeah true yeah and i think also it's about understanding what other elements could be included in the landscape as the subject of uh, as the object of study like when when we say landscape we often think of like uh, plants we often mm-hmm. think of trees we often think of shrubs, grasses, etc. But nature, it's more than that. Nature is about water. Nature is also about animals. Um, for example, can can the songs of birds actually help? Like, can, can that heal you? Can I think the there was, uh, in the Nature Fix, they, ex- did, they exactly. did talk about the, the bird songs. Yeah, mm. exactly. So as water as well, mm. the people actually feel a lot calmer if they listen to the sounds of water. Mm. And... Uh, some s- and and water what what is so amazing about water is even by looking at water just water without plants you could also you could also benefit from it there is in f- indeed like um a new research um uh, an applied side of research um in Japan that they have started to build like uh moving water pictures in uh they've included these billboards or not billboards not not as big as billboards but like commercial advert like you know you know like if you go Mm. into mtr like if you go into the tube like there Mm. will be advertisements like Mm. as you as you as you move through the escalator Mm. right Mm -hmm. so they're starting to use make use of those space to create like flowing water pictures yeah and actually uh what they notice is like People generally moves a lot slower, and they uh, and their and and their blood pressure, and a lot of physiological uh, indicators actually benefits from just looking at the at the moving water picture. That's interesting because I mean it Im- apl- implies that you don't necessarily have to be in a natural, you know, exactly in a natural landscape. Yeah, to be able to get the benefit exactly that's exactly right and do you think that you know uh, i mean i think it will have come down to our evolution yeah um, in the sense that we know what it is already it's built into our system to recognize that this is water true and this is what what is what this finding also implies is um the benefit if you 
that's why I emphasize what you need is to understand the mechanism. If you understand the mechanism, that means you don't need exterior space to implement these mechanisms. You could actually transfer and apply these mechanisms in interior as well. Mm. That means you could benefit what you benefit outside, inside your pl- your home or inside an office. So you make you you could the the the, the real impact that you're creating is to be able to ex, uh, ex- extend um, uh, the benefits even in like unconventional spaces. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what that's why understanding the mechanisms is very important. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think as we draw this podcast to a close, um, yeah. I'd like to ask um, one last question. Yeah, um, sure. Might be a bit controversial, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> so as designers um are we guilty in focusing on some of these senses more than others are we guilty guilty ah interesting uh i think what do you mean by guilty (laughs) like um we should you know it's not an intentional thing but uh, we we you know, do you think we end up um, because of the nature of the work? Do you think we end up focusing on maybe just too much of the visual, the mm. aesthetics, more so than about you know creating landscapes where it's all about touch or you know textures and you know. Um, yeah, the, do you think we think about it enough in the design process? I think, um, I think in general, um, throughout my um, my my experience as a landscape architect, I think rather than saying like we focus too much on certain senses, I think we we actually focus too much on making our clients happy. <laughs> 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 I think I'll feel more guilt <laughs> by <laughs> by just focusing on my uh, clients that is a very practical, <laughs> a very clients practical happiness rather than actually yes. like uh, considering the benefits of people using it mm. <laughs> using using mm. the, the the landscape um mm. what what i would say is so so what's missing then in this case is you know that again raising that awareness to um, the type of clients that uh, landscape architects and architects and other designers work with you know such as developers or local authorities and I making sure that that information is out there yeah i think uh what you what you like rather than saying that we focus on specific senses it's more about actually to push our limits to really test these ideas in practice and to convince our clients Actually, this type of design is better than the other type of design, even though at the cost of, uh, of, of even at slightly higher cost. But the what you have to do is to uh, is to inform the the um, substantial ben- like benefits uh, beyond what was proposed only from the client's preference. So le- w- what? How can how you as a, as a designer can substantially increase the amenity value by pushing the limits towards where you want to push to, uh, which is actually to benefit um, the the end use end users mm-hmm. more. So, however, whenever we try to speak about uh, 
the um, the quantity of benefits it's often more related to measurements well how can you measure like amenity value how can you measure like whether this policy brings you certain economic benefits certain amenity values it's 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 not that uh, complicated, actually. Uh, it's it's not that not it, it's not uh, all the jobs uh, that it, it's not a job of economists to do that, as uh, it is indeed uh, something that maybe landscape designers could also try to uh, incorporate in the future research agenda. Mm. Indeed, like uh, there has already been like research undergoing uh, rega- regarding to um, assessing. Um, the quantity, the marginal benefits that you get, like for example, by increasing uh, the tree density cover. Mm. So um, this is uh, an area of research done by uh, Professor Binjang in, uh, at the University of Hong Kong. So uh, he's been uh, very active in studying ha- uh, the, uh, the 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 quantity. Uh, how much quantity of landscape, for example, tree density cover uh, in urban landscape, how that will um, that will impact our emotional well-being. So, mm. um, so by having scientific studies uh, measuring um, your the the marginal benefits you get at different tree cover density, then you provide a very solid argument to planners to developers. We just need certain percentage more to actually achieve that mm. that outcome. Mm-hmm. So I think like in f- I think that also uh, as a as a closure to the podcast um what is important is um the future direction of research um and uh not only in terms of helping helping us learn to to learn more about the psychology of landscape what we have to know is actually to understand the quantitative side of things mm. like because that's the fundamentals to to help us laymen or designers to convince people to create better landscapes and by how much we have to do that mm-hmm. yeah definitely that's uh, that that's uh, that's immensely useful point to yeah. make um it comes back to what well, we basically have come full circle yeah, we yeah. talked about this in the beginning um i think what would be very interesting um, in you know in our area of work would be to set up some sort of a platform where you know that is achievable where you do start to find uh, like-minded researchers and practitioners conversing with each other uh, solely for the purpose of you know landscape yeah benefits of nature true um yeah um the the that's great (laughs) 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 um yeah yeah to to end, um, it would be really great to um, sing a Christmas yeah. carol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is getting close to Christmas. I think this will be out. Um, well, I'm hoping to get it out uh, shortly after Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Um, but yeah, oh. uh, you can wish people. Yeah, <laughs> thank thank you very uh, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Uh, we we are just a few days before Christmas right now. Uh, so Are we feeling the Christmas spirit? <laughs> Not really, because I still have to work uh, next week. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I hope you all had enjoy a wonderful Christmas and uh, all the best to you uh, next year. Great. Yeah. And what's next for you? Uh, what, what? How are you 
uh, how do you see your he see your career and the work that you do heading in the next I don't know ten years or so or uh, are you building the foundations currently to help you achieve um, what you want to achieve? I think ten years is a bit too long. I'm not sure <laughs> if I will still be alive like ten years later. Yeah, let's not, yeah, let's, yeah. not let, let's not get <laughs> there. Optimistic. Yeah, too optimistic. I might I might die in like five years. You never know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Or get seriously seriously ill like by the end of the fifth year, uh, yeah, <laughs> too 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 pessimistic suddenly. <laughs> okay, or realist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to be reasonable. Uh, anything can happen. Uh, but I think in general, like um, I I focus on developing myself professionally. But uh, my field of I, I'm hoping to uh, study uh, a PhD uh, in future, focusing on like. Uh, the the benefits of landscape obviously but most importantly uh, which also relates to uh, what I briefly touched upon when when I studied my research degree in psychology was uh, uh, was me- media multitasking I hope to understand like the interaction how negatively or positively like um, using the media at the same time viewing landscapes could um, like how they would interact with each other since like a lot of people nowadays have been using um, mobile phones or like um, uh, the computer whatever like when they are in Absolutely. the middle of a park <laughs> so, yes, that's so that that's kind of my um the the areas that i'm interested in so uh yeah sort of a augmented uh reality exactly and how that will relate to ar as well ah, yeah right uh, amazing truly truly interesting yeah. actually um well all the best with that i mm-hmm. I, 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 I i i really think um you know, because you have such a strong idea for um, for topics and research already that you know you carrying out your PhD, <laughs> um, it's 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 a great way forward. Thank thank you very much. I think Win is too polite. <laughs> no, in general as well, we need well. You know, as you as you mentioned in the beginning as well, it's that most researchers they are so you know um, so into their topic of research yeah. so deeply already that it's hard for them to interact with people outside yeah, or yeah. maybe more you know uh, in the practice yeah the two so extreme side of two things extreme yeah. side of things so we need people like yourselves who have you know who have practice yeah. and who understand that sort of reality yeah. And to be able to go back to research and apply it and bridge. Yeah, bridge basically people who took detours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, a bit of motivational speech to those who are taking detours right now. Don't worry, like you will have your way out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. As much as Kay is a is a pessimist or a realist, <laughs> she does have really practical <laughs> advice on life. <laughs> right. Okay. Thank well, you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, yep. it's been great. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please do share with us via email at thebinpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at thebinpodcast with your biggest learnings of the episode. Now, Onto the word of the episode from Kay, which is mindful. She explains this from a scientific perspective, and I quote directly from Kay's explanation. 
which fundamentally is that mindfulness heals because it encourages the use of bottom-up instead of a top-down perceptual processing. So these are the essentially two different types of perceptual processing in psychology. In the simplest form, bottom-up makes you recognize the elements around you without filtering them, like observing, whereas top-down makes you select what you want to attend to around you and to make sense of these things. An example would be, scenario, there are clothes on the floor and dangling at the edge of the wardrobe drawers. The floor is overwhelmed by trash papers, the bin is not clean. An example of a bottom-up perception is, there are clothes on the floor and dangling at the edge of the wardrobe drawers. The floor is overwhelmed by trash papers, the bin is not clean, there is light coming in from the window, there is a smell of sweat in the room, I could hear the neighbour speaking next door, etc, etc. Example for the scenario of a top-down perception is, the room is such a mess, damn it my partner is not cleaning again, this room might have been robbed, this room might be occupied by someone who's really messy. Therefore, you can immediately start to see that bottom-up processing doesn't make any judgment about what you obtain from your senses, whereas top-down processing requires almost an instant judgment to make sense of a condition or a situation. And you will also notice because you that you are top-down processing and making judgments because that's exactly what we do in almost everyday task and that is what is needed to do as long as you work or carry out the tasks. In other words, we use top-down processing too often and extensively. To make instant judgments requires selecting a view out of all options of perception. So back to the scenario to make a conclusion for the messy room, you have to choose whether, in the top-down perception, you have to choose whether my partner is not clean or the room might be robbed. Therefore, it consumes energy to select one of the options and suppress the activation of the other option in our mind. And this energy is a form of resources that we essentially deplete in our brain. Psychology refers to this form of resources as attention. In other words, the more you make judgments, the more you are taxing your attentional resources. To extend this concept, because top-down processing is everywhere in our life, our attentional resources have been constantly depleted. Mindfulness or being mindful comes to heal by not making any judgments to things around you. And without the judgments, you don't consume brain energy. However, you'll notice that if um, essentially the principle is to ask you to not make any judgments, then this is the troublesome part. If K asks you not to think of a red elephant, what will you see? You'll see a red elephant right in front of your mind. And that's the problem with negative instructions. Asking someone not to do something is pointless unless you provide an alternative. Because essentially, your mind has the two perceptual processing methods, either the bottom-up perception or the top-down perception. And if top-down tends to make you make these judgments, 
then the alternative is to encourage the bottom-up processing. Therefore, in mindfulness practices, the mindfulness instructor asks you to close your eyes, which, if you remember from our conversation of the episode, is then reducing the chance of making judgments with your eyes because your eyes account for 75% of incoming perception interferences. And in the mindfulness practice, again, you observe the scent of the flowers around you, you listen to the songs of the birds, you feel the trajectory of your breath, etc, etc. And the more you use the other methods, the more you will learn not to overuse the top-down unless it's necessary to perform a function. Therefore, then, you spend more resources to attend to things that you actually have to pay attention to. So, Case states that being mindful is a start to of a habit to restore your mind. Now you might want to listen to that again and see the ways in which you are using either the bottom-up or the top-down perception processes in your everyday life. Thank you for hanging on up until this point and I hope you have gotten as much from this episode as I have. Until next time, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on our next episode. And please give this podcast a rating and a review to show your support. 